Welcome to Swift Unwrapped, a weekly podcast about the Swift programming language and other Swift.org projects. My name is JP Samard. And I'm Jesse Squires, and today we have a sponsor for this episode. It is BitRise, uh, which is a mobile continuous integration and delivery system for your whole team uh, with dozens of integrations for your favorite services you can build, test, and deploy. And for iOS, they have automatic provisioning profile management and 60% uh, faster build times with a feature called Recursive Touch. Uh, You can check them out at bitrise.io. Today we have uh, some exciting news to share. Uh, Turns out that Google has finally forked Swift. Yeah, uh, they forked it... uh, the fork on GitHub was seen publicly a while back, right? Or I'm referring to uh, uh, yes, yeah. yes, that is true. Right. Uh, but I'm referring to f- actually forking the language and developing its own version of it. Exactly. And for what purpose? Uh, Android development, obviously. <laughs> Not quite. Uh, Maybe one day. Perhaps. No, but this is, uh, I'd even say, more exciting than that. Uh, It does apply Swift to a new domain that hasn't really uh, been heavily used uh, for so far. Yeah. Swift for TensorFlow. Swift for machine learning. Yeah. Uh, And note that it's not TensorFlow for Swift, as in it's not a Swift binding to TensorFlow. It's really a fork of the Swift language that has a number of changes uh, applied to it that um, will make it uh, actually enable TensorFlow to do new things and also in the process enable Swift to do more things with TensorFlow. Yeah, exactly. It is uh, interesting to note and important to note that it is Swift for TensorFlow, not TensorFlow for Swift, uh, which I thought was kind of strange when I first read it. I was like, oh, do they have this backwards? Uh, And then when I watched the talk that Chris Latner posted, um, I realized that, oh, okay, so they have completely, they've modified the language and the compiler um, to add these features. Right. Um, And let's take a step back and actually uh, describe what TensorFlow is, because uh, a lot of our listeners are probably more uh, familiar with the iOS development side of things and perhaps not so much with uh, machine learning. Uh, And TensorFlow is uh, an open source library um, that was started at Google uh, and mostly developed by Google, I believe. Um, And it's more than just machine learning. It's also high-performance performance numerical computation, but uh, for the most part, it's used for things like uh, neural networks or um, uh, machine learning type tasks. Uh, Previously, it was mostly um, used via Python APIs, um, and there were a handful of wrappers for other languages, but really for the most part, Python has really played uh, kind of an important role um, in machine learning libraries and in the community. So uh, it, it, it's been very tied to that language uh, up until now. Yeah, uh, that's kind of, Python has been kind of the go-to language for 
those domains and other things like natural language processing and um, tasks like that. Right. Um, so there are bindings for C++, Java, and Go. Uh, and uh, what was announced um, just earlier this week was that uh, uh, Chris Latner and the Google Brain team um, and the TensorFlow Developer Experience team is also working on uh, really closely integrating Swift into all of this. And uh, it appears that it's not going to be done in the same way as the other bindings to TensorFlow are, uh, such as C++, Java, or Go, um, that it's really going to be kind of a different beast altogether. Yeah, exactly. Um, in the uh, in the video uh, with Chris Latner and Richard Way, they, um, they kind of step through uh, kind of how it's implemented or why it's... Um, how and why it's different. Um, and they discuss um, these like two specific techniques that uh, are usually like part of the approach to building a, a system like this. Um, so these two approaches are um, a graph building uh, approach and um, a eager execution approach. So graph building is you explicitly uh, build a graph and then execute it. And uh, eager execution is where you run tensor operations uh, with interpreted code. Um, and the way that Chris explains it in the talk is kind of Swift for TensorFlow uh, basically kind of combines both of these. And so in a sense, you get like the best of both worlds. Um, and you also get this uh, static analysis from the compiler. Right, yeah, he, he outlines that a problem with uh, the, the current tooling for TensorFlow, with Python especially, is that um, it's uh, the, the tooling isn't sophisticated enough in order to um, differentiate between kind of normal Python code that you're using, such as like calling into Python libraries, doing Python-y stuff like parsing compiler arguments and uh, applying the the tensor operations. Um, and so these two approaches, the graph building and the eager execution, I think there are a lot of parallels to be made there uh, where towards um, just programming languages in general, where the graph building is more kind of compile time where it's um, uh, it's uh, st not statically defined, but uh declaratively defining your um, your graphs uh, versus the runtime approach of your execution, which is, uh, hey, like over time, refine the graph by applying all of these operations and running all of this code. Um, and ultimately, uh, the, the super powerful um, TPUs, tensor processing units that, uh, uh, that TensorFlow supports um, can only run the the tensor operations themselves on there. And so you need a way to be able to differentiate between um, tensor operations and all other code. Yeah, uh, seems one thing that he emphasized was that yeah, Python's type system just isn't strong enough or adequate enough to uh, to do this kind of analysis where Swift has uh, um, better capabilities there. Um, so uh, you should really watch the presentation because it goes over um, a lot of the 
uh, integrations or some of the changes to SWIFT that uh, Chris Latner has been uh, proposing over the last few months um, with proposals like the uh, uh, the dynamic callable and um, the other dynamic proposal. Yeah, there was a pair that kind of went together. Right. Um, and also this ties in nicely with uh, the Python interop um, samples that uh, I guess Chris had provided as well, where um, this new version of Swift for TensorFlow um, not only uh, adds those things, but you can even do things like import TensorFlow from Swift. Right. And then um, and then use TypeSafe TensorFlow APIs uh, without having to link any additional frameworks. Like it's, it's uh, embedded probably alongside the Swift standard library. And so just like you do import Swift or m- more common than not, you don't do that. Mm-hmm. Um, you can also do that from, uh, from this version of Swift. Right. And the, the, so that pair of proposals was a more <clears throat> generic approach to just allowing or improving interop with other languages. Um, but there was a pretty heavy kind of focus on Python um, with all of Chris's examples of interopping with Python. Uh, and they showed this in the talk as well. They gave some examples of importing uh, existing Python libraries to use as well. Right, like they use um, a the pickle format. Yeah. Um, which is a data format uh, for Python object serialization that uh, is very commonly used when you're serializing data for um, uh, TensorFlow analysis or even more general uh, machine learning analysis. And so in, in this example, uh, they use uh, the, the pickle serial or deserialization capabilities of Python from within Swift and then get out Swift objects. Uh, so it's it's actually really nice, and all of this uses the um, the dynamic member lookup uh, uh, implementation and the dynamic callable implementation to have Python APIs look and feel like they were Swift APIs. Yeah, the uh, interesting or like one interesting aspect in the talk is uh, so this is all done in Swift playgrounds, um, although they called them Swift notebooks uh, in the talk, which was interesting. Uh, does Python have Python has this concept of a notebook, right? Correct. Yeah. yeah so maybe the, some of that terminology was changed just so the audience who is probably the audience, which was not a bunch of Swift developers, um, I'm assuming it was all TensorFlow and Python developers at this conference. Um, so they probably aren't super hip to the Swift world. Well, I also wouldn't be surprised if Apple has trademarks on uh, Swift playgrounds um, or the word playgrounds used in the context of Swift. Um, oh, interesting. You yeah. know, like there's an mm. app on the iPad by that name. There's also, you know, some core technologies in, in Xcode by those names. So uh, I wouldn't be surprised if they avoided that really on purpose. And, you know, there's a less cynical take for sure, which is it's m- the term notebook is more familiar probably to folks who uh, are seasoned Python developers yeah. uh, rather than playgrounds. It also sounds a little more professional. Playgrounds sounds very, uh, right. you know, it's a toy project. And yeah, um, yeah. I, I don't know how many angles there are 
part of this. Maybe we're reading too much into it, but it was uh, notable that it was not referred to as Swift Playgrounds. And in fact, yeah. the the words Xcode or Apple or Playgrounds weren't uttered a single time, even in passing in this whole presentation, which uh, felt very deliberate. Yeah, yeah, for sure. The uh, Also in the video, the, the audience didn't seem super... Uh, enthusiastic uh, when they got to the part to announce Swift for TensorFlow. It seemed a bit lost on them, you know, a group of developers that just probably aren't very familiar with Swift at all. Um, yeah, but this is what it takes, right, to extend the reach of Swift yeah. um, in a way that uh, isn't necessarily going to be spearheaded by Apple, right? Yeah. Um, Apple certainly has some machine learning interests, but they're not going to be uh, like pushing that as hard as they are on uh, on the Apple platforms. Sure, um, development, right? Yeah. Uh, hopefully, though, this this community embraces Swift for TensorFlow. Um, yep. So, uh, as part of the announcement, um, this group uh, from within Google who will be working on this. Um, uh, there's a handful of people. There's probably a list of like. 40 or 50 or so people that have contributed to this so far. But one of the things that they uh, commit to is uh, to leverage Swift evolution process in order to um, upstream whatever changes can be upstreamed to um, the uh, Apple version of Swift. Mm -hmm. And now every time we refer to Swift, we have to (laughs) say whose version we're referring to. Um, and, and this is already in progress, obviously with, uh, the dynamic callable dynamic member lookup, uh, and improved Python interoperability, um, proposals as well. Yeah. So it seems like those kinds of core changes are clearly and somewhat easily upstreamable, uh, back to Swift, but uh, yeah, I'm sure there's a lot of like tensor specific things that they will just maintain in their own fork going forward, or I mean, it's not really clear at this point, I guess, how much they plan to completely upstream versus like maintaining a fork. It, from from the tone alone, I, I get the sense that uh, they don't want to feel held back by having to go through um, not just Swift evolution proposals for user facing changes, but also the Swift core team for uh, even just kind of an internal uh, functionality mm-hmm. um, that uh, that they can leverage. Um, so it seems to me like uh, the this Swift for TensorFlow uh, is not just a short term solution, but like a short and medium term solution, and maybe like yeah one, two, three plus years from now, if this still has wings and, and if this uh, is still a thing, then by then uh, maybe they can be reconciled. Um, but it seems, or, or perhaps there's even a way forward where there can be some sort of um, plug-in module to the Swift compiler. Uh, and this has been brought up before with the Swift package manager at a higher level, mm-hmm. uh, if not at, at the lower level that this might need, uh, where you could have extensible build tools. Right. Um, perhaps some of the analysis passes that they might want to do uh, could be built uh, through like a plugin architecture in the Swift compiler. Right. Um, and so that might actually shorten uh, the runway for... Um, you know, removing this fork, and instead you have the Swift language and the TensorFlow compiler plugin. 
right. that like runs a, a bunch of additional passes that does additional things. You know, that that to me would seem to be an ideal end goal here. Right. You know, and that's not even really too far-fetched. Um, I mean, that's essentially how SIL works, right? It just kind of hooks into the LLVM compiler flow, that pipeline. Um, it's their own layer in between um, the the parser and LLVM IR. Yes, but it's not so much a plugin as it is a consumer of LLVM. Sure. Right, right. right? Yeah. And, and uh, the Swift LLVM is still forked from upstream LLVM. Right. Even now, how many years? Two years after the open sourcing of Swift. Right, right. Um, and and Although, four years after the language's announcement, right? Sure, sure. Uh, I know they are upstreaming changes regularly, I think, but... Um, yeah, I, I guess that's also not clear if they plan to eventually be on par with LVM and get rid of their fork or not. It seems like a worthwhile goal. Um, yeah, but it it's certainly a lot of effort, and the same thing goes here, right? Where um, it's it would certainly be more effort to get everything upstreamed and to not rely on a fork at all. But then, you know, good luck convincing. Um, the Python standard library to be embedded within Swift dis- distributions, you know? Right. You're not going to do that. Um, so then you need to find more elegant ways, which also takes more time to, like, iron out all the details, but mm-hmm. they aren't as straightforward, uh, but at least they're not hacky. Sure. Um, so f- for this, you know, they don't have to convince anyone other than themselves that if it's good for this narrow end-user domain, then they can make whatever changes uh, they want and then clean them up and upstream them later if they can be generalized. Right. Another thing that comes to mind for me is as they are working on uh, implementing um, these new features in the compiler, uh, just because of the nature of TensorFlow, um, I imagine they will be able to either you know find additional bugs to fix to upstream performance improvements um, general things that as they're working on this um, they can upstream that just improve Swift overall which is uh, which would be really great yeah yeah and you can you can see this as uh, a path to make Swift, uh, not just to expose Swift to a larger community and therefore new ideas as well, mm-hmm. uh, which is absolutely a good thing and really plays in towards Chris Latner's goal of global domination with Swift, right? Right. Uh, in, in a way that Apple itself couldn't do alone. Uh, you need a rich ecosystem of of uh, interested parties with different interests in order to, to get there, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but it might even make Swift more portable. Um, for example, if it has to run on um, on kind of esoteric uh, hardware platforms like TPUs or if um, at some point uh, they want to embed this within all TensorFlow distributions, including TF Lite, which runs on Android devices Mm -hmm. and iOS devices. So it might make TensorFlow more portable, make Swift more portable, perhaps. Um, 
Uh, it's not guaranteed to, to happen that way, but it's unlikely that all of the Swift for TensorFlow development would happen on Darwin platforms. Like, that's impossible. It's, right. it's probably going to be primarily Linux-based uh, in mm-hmm. terms of its execution, or at least, like, it needs strong support for Linux platforms. The, these are all great things. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, perhaps uh, with TF Lite, that could start to pave the way in the future for bringing Swift to Android in some fashion. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that's probably way down the line, but um, it's not. I don't think it's necessarily that far. Yeah. Um, Because we're not talking about, you know, Google uh, pushing for Swift uh, to be used to develop Android apps at this point, right? We're really talking about Swift as used as kind of a cross-platform language uh, implementation detail that you don't necessarily have to interface with, similarly to how you know C++ is often used for kind of shared cross-platform mm-hmm. lower-level libraries. Uh, it'd be nice to see Swift start to play more of a role in that sense as well, and this might be like a really good uh, effort to get there. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, I think that's all we have to discuss for today. Uh, you can find the show on Twitter at Swift underscore Unwrapped. You can find me at Jesse underscore Squires. You can find me on Twitter at SimJP. And our thanks again to BitRise for sponsoring this show. You can find them at bitrise.io. Thanks for listening.